Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We're gonna start again. The Usuri folks, although you can't see it, are having pizza. <laughs> so, if you have pizza, you can join us. <laughs> although I'm not eating pizza. Oh, is it unmuted? Yeah. I don't see most of you, but are you there? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, okay. Now I'm seeing people. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So after this, this statement that deserves a pause about man ittakhaza ilahu those who take with God and become their own ego. Allah then in 40, this is 44, speaking to the Prophet, but through the Prophet to us. Do you really think that they reflect and think and ponder? They're like cattle. Or even worse. Now, the reference to cattle, as you, you find often pointed out, is that so many human beings are led by herd mentality. The effect of social influences, they are a product of their social age and their culture. And when confronted by anything, that requires them to pause and to consider and forecon the criterion between good and bad, they resort to maligning and slander and to gossip. They, they assassinate the character of the messenger rather than actually reflect upon anything. Then this fascinating this is now 46, and I'm going to read the translation because I, I, I'll tell you why in, in a second why it's so. أَلَمْ تَرَى إِلَى رَبِّكَ كَيْفَ مَدَّ الظِّلُّ وَلَوْ شَاءَ لَجْعَلَهُ سَاكِنًا ثُمَّ جَعَلْنَا الشَّمْسَ عَلَيْهِ دَلِيلًا Have you not seen how your Lord spread the shadow? If your Lord world, your Lord could have made it still, but we have made the sun it, its guide. i.e. after the sunrise the shadow shrinks and vanishes at mid-noon and then again appears in the afternoon with the decline of the sun and that there is no sunlight, there is, would be no shadow. And then, but if we would have willed, then we would withdrew it to us, a gradual concealed withdrawal. Okay, now we pause at this verse. Why? Because of the amount that has been written about this verse in Surah Al-Furqan in Islamic literature. First, let me fast forward to the modern age. 
This verse is among the, the most discussed among the scholars uh, who write about Al-I'jaz al-Ilmi in the Qur'an, about the scientific miracles of the Qur'an. Uh, I'm not going to go through their arguments, but they often point to this verse as evidence that the Qur'an recognized that the earth revolves around the sun, and this is not the only place. And that, not only that, but that verse 46, ثُمَّ قَبَضْنَاهُ إِلَيْنَا قَبْدًا يَسِيرًا is Quranic demonstration of relativity. Now, if you're interested in this, one place you can get it um, is... Um, uh, in that that group that puts up videos in England, uh, they, they're called There Is No Conflict. Uh, that's their website called There Is No Conflict. And they talk about that. But if you want a more extensive treatment by a physicist, uh, you can just put in a, a search um, for scientific miracles in the Quran and you'll find that there's a, a very famous Iraqi physicist who lives in London and he's very accomplished and he talks about how the that this verse it is impossible for someone to have written this verse that doesn't understand the theory of relativity the reason I'm not going to go into it is that this is not my field the scientific miracles of the Quran is not my field and so I, I don't um, I, I'm, I'm not scientists and you know I read that literature but I don't engage it deeply enough uh, now other than the modern age and the, all the discussions about the the how this is a scientific miracle note uh, just to, as a completing thought the idea that if the shadow is constant if the shadow they say, well, then the, then the sun would be revolving around the earth, but the fact that the, the, this, the earth is revolving around the sun, that's what gives the shadow its properties, disappearing and appearing and so on. Anyway, um, but the pre-modern discourse is fascinating because you find like someone like Ibn Kathir and Tabari and a lot of the literalists uh, interpreters, they pause at this verse and they say something like, well, we don't re know what it really means. It, it, it's one of these Quranic statements, but you find that this Quranic, these two short verses have had a huge impact among, especially among Sufis and Mu'tazili Isk, uh, meaning people influenced by rationalist orientations of, of the, the ones that are most interesting are actually the Sufis because they say they they say that this is symbolic as to the nature of existence itself Allah is saying look at your existence in your existence you see the shadow and the shadow is created by obstruction of light. And so 
you look at the shadow where, in fact, by, by looking at the effects of shadows, you can tell time. You can tell what time of the day it is, like the old system of telling time, obviously. And um, you see the material properties of your existence. But if Allah would have willed, Allah would have exposed you to a very different rea reality. And in that reality, the truth of existence is not all your constructed realities that you construct out of material existence. You will find that in that reality, the, the de facto state of things is darkness. And darkness exists and it's only pierced by light. So light is Allah's gift shining through like truth. And when Allah says, that through Allah's nature you will find this darkness dissipating in your life if you are oriented towards the divine. So the Sufis took this and they write a great deal about it. That You live in a constructed reality, but the true reality, you would see that there is only one source of light, and that's the divine. And other than that source of light, you actually dwell in darkness. If you rid yourself of constructed realities, and so they write a lot about how you rid yourself of constructed realities, the, the Sufis are fascinated by the nature of shadows. Now, I, I'll tell you something that's, um, there, it is rather interesting. Historically, throughout history, human beings have reported citing something called uh, shadow men, uh, shadow, uh, um, shadow beings. In the modern age, with our modern cameras, you, we have even captured these shadow beings on camera. And they are always hiding. They, they, never, they rarely appear in full sight, and they're always peeking behind something, and then they, they retract very quickly. They're watchers. They're a form of jinn. But it, what is quite remarkable is that they are, in fact, created by the absence of light. They are just pure darkness a pure absence of energy. Um, we could spend a very long time talking about all that the Muslim civilizations have produced on these two short, amazing verses about the nature of shadow and light. But again, it is not an accident that it is, occurs in Surah Al-Furqan, the criterion. It's as if the one that is going to, if you study it, if you reflect upon it, it even takes you in the journey as to the nature between shadows and truth. 
And then Allah that created for you the night for repose and comfort and the, the daylight for activity and action um, and notice who sent from rain Ma'antahur means pure water. Uh, for the Islamic law folks, this is the verse that is often cited in the context of saying that rainwater is pure. I don't know with our modern pollution whether they would stick to that position, but it's interesting. Um, and that, of course, that water is a source of life. This is a common theme. Now we're talking about verse 48 and 49, um, and that the miracle of water as a source of life, that we made from water every living thing, uh, is, a, is a repeated theme, and that human beings ignore this reality, and that it takes a divine creator to bring water into a context that is finely tuned to create life, it, that it can't be by accident. And then that note that if we would have willed, we would have sent to every group of people their own messenger, but th this is a reference to uh, Arabs who said, well, why should we obey a messenger sent to Mecca? We want our own messenger to our own people. But the Quran, as we will see, the Quran from its beginning insists that Muhammad is a messenger to humankind and that the, the age of sending messengers to a specific group of people has ended, has concluded and that Allah has given humanity sufficient notice, as we will see, inshallah. فَلَا تُطِعِ الْكَافِرِينَ This is 58, 52, sorry. Okay, don't obey the deniers. That's understood. But جَاهِدْهُمْ بِهِ جِهَادًا كَبِيرًا do jihad, a great jihad, with it. What is the it referred to? Let's see how he translated this. Um, so do not obey the disbelievers, but strive against them, do jihad, with the utmost endeavor with it. Most commentators said that the it here refers to the Qur'an. Now, the command is to the Prophet, but as in works of theology, there are a realm of commands that although issued to the Prophet, remain valid for eternity for all those who follow the Prophet. So the command to take the Qur'an and to struggle, what does it mean? 
to do struggle with the Quran. وَجَاهِدْهُمْ بِهِ جِهَادًا كَبِيرًا Remember that this Al-Furqan is revealed before Muslims are given permission to use arms. And here is elasting all the writings on Al-Amrabul Ma'roof and Nayan Al-Munkar is elasting command for those who are up to the task to follow in the footsteps of the Prophet and to take the Quran and to struggle to establish its criterion, knowing fully well, as the Quran itself says, that the majority will not believe. And knowing fully well that the majority are going to react to the jihad of the Quran in the same way they reacted to the Prophet Muhammad. They're going to engage in character assassination. They're going to malign you. They're going to slander you. They're going to say you bring nothing new, etc., etc. But that's the charge. Okay. Then the reference in the Quran that's actually again a favorite of those who write about the scientific miracles of the Quran, uh, verse 53, that who has created a, a separation between fresh water and salt water so that fresh water and salt water do not mix, that who has created human beings out of the, the, the substance of life, water, this is 54, and then 55, that although most human beings will continue to worship, but here worship means to submit, to, to defer to that which in fact is not a God and has no power over them, over them, other than the power that they give it, like the ego. But we have only sent you Muhammad as a conveyor of a message and as a warner, as a conveyor of good news, mubashiran wa nazira. Wa nazira is a warner and mubashira, a conveyor of good news. And again, the common theme that Muhammad tells, the Prophet tells his people that I'm, I don't expect to be rewarded from you, but that it is up to you. It is up to you to take a path to your Lord. I am a conveyor of a message that effectively empowers you individually. Now, in our age, individuality is a common thing. In that age, the age of the Catholic Church, only, which basically walked the path for you, and the age of the rabbinic, uh, uh, the, the rabbinic authority in Judaism, which defined the path of the Lord, 
the idea that of a warner that empowers the individual to take a sabir ila rabbi was quite revolutionary. And maybe in the age of mullahs and imams these days, maybe it's still revolutionary. I don't know. And then 58, and 58 is very important, and I'll tell you why. وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى الْحَيِّ الَّذِي لَا يَمُوتُ وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِهِ وَكَفَى بِهِ بِذُنُوبِ عِبَادِهِ خَبِيرًا So Muhammad, Prophet of God, what do you do? What do you do in front of all of this slander and in front of all of this falsehood? What you do is what all believers who want to take this path must do. Rely on the one who never dies. And وَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِهِ سَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِهِ As we say, Subhanakallah bihamdik Is the core of dhikr. Back again, a reference to dhikr. Supplicate the name of your Lord in gratitude to your Lord. Engage in that dhikr. Hold on to that dhikr. And know that Allah knows all the faults of the people who malign you and the people who oppose you. You are not a wakil. You don't control them. And you're not, you're not responsible for them. All you can do is teach. Now, 58, in my journey with the Quran, I became convinced that Ayah 58 was the dhikr for Surah Al-Furqan. So as I spent, this is years ago, was I spent time trying to understand what Surah Al-Furqan is saying and why it is called Surah Al-Furqan. After doing my due diligence and research and study, I would spend time in tasbih. And my tasbih in Surah Al-Furqan, I would recite 58 repeatedly, again and again and again and again, as I asked Allah to open my heart and open my soul so I can understand what Surah Al-Furqan is saying. الذي خلق السماوات والأرض وما بينهما في ستة في أيام ثم استوى على العرش الرحمن فاسأل به خبيرا. A reference, and which we'll we'll encounter in other surahs, so to Allah that has created the heavens in in six days. No, six days, and this is important, could mean six days in divine time, or could mean in six stages. We often forget that ayam 
before the creation of time, human time, cannot mean time as we know it. And it could mean ayam in the original meaning of yayim. Six blocks, six stages. And then, wastawa al-arsh is known only to Allah, what is the throne? We don't speculate about that. Ar-Rahman, fas'al khabira Now, here, why does it say that? Because, look at verse 60. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اسْجُدُوا لِلرَّحْمَانِ قَالُوا وَمَا الرَّحْمَانِ أَنَسْجُدُوا لِمَنْ تَأْمُرَنَا وَزَادَهُمْ نُفُورًا Why? This is actually important. Pre-Islamic Arabs knew Allah, knew Rabb from the Jews, knew Allah, Christians used Allah, Jews used Allah, and Arabs had a great amount of mythology about Allah. Some believed in Allah and some didn't. Some believed that Allah existed, but Allah was disinterested in human affairs. None of them believed in the hereafter. Some believed that Allah had daughters. Some believed that Allah had other partners, all these gods, in, 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 a, in a sort of traditional Greek mythology form. But Arabs were very troubled by when the Prophet ﷺ told them, Allah is the Rahman. We lose this historical moment in our modern knowledge. Their reaction to this said, Rahman, who's Rahman? Rahman is Allah. What does Rahman mean? The compassionate, the merciful. Allah for the pre-Islamic Arabs were not compassionate and was not merciful. The Allah they knew was either oblivious and disinterested or engaged in struggles with other gods or often angry and vindictive. When Islam came with the with the, the, the new consciousness that Allah is not vindictive and not angry and not engaged in personal struggles and doesn't play favorites tribes, tribes and races but is Ar-Rahman essentially the compassionate they were scandalized to the point that they said well it must be there are two gods there is Allah and there is a Rahman and that is why they, when it says, Fas'al bihi khabira, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, what happened to the picture? Did they get disconnected?
just went to sleep or something. The wall top? Restore top right. It's where, you'll know why it's a real devil attack if it occurred now. It's on mute. Unmute it, Sharif. We we lost we lost you guys for a bit. Okay, so we we restored you. We're getting there, don't worry, just hold on, hold steadfast. Persevere. Do jihad, this is your jihad, don't forget. Okay. So, Wamar Rahman, they say, we won't prostrate Rahman, which, by the way, for the pre Islamic, they thought that it is a weakness for God to be merciful. And why should they worship someone who's merciful? تبارك الذي جعل في السماء بروجا وجعل فيها سراجا وقمرا منيرا وهو الذي جعل الليل والنهار خلفة لمن أراد أن يتذكر أو أراد شكورا. Okay, this is leading now to the penultimate statement of Surah Al-Furqan. تبارك. We've we've encountered Tabarak before. So it takes us back to the beginning of the surah and reminds us this is about the most, the, the, the epitome, the embodiment of virtue and honor. And that God is the one that created this carefully measured universe which could not exist but is for a sun and for a moon, carefully calibrated to be what it is. And then it gives, then it, it sort of presents you with, um, I'll put it bluntly, a switcheroo on you, if you will. Allah made the night and day Okay, we've seen this before, right? But here, Allah made the night and day. Why? The very purpose of night and day is different here. Night and day, just in Surah Al-Furqan, a few verses before, told us, day is for you to be active. Night is for you to sleep. Now here it switches, and it says, created the night and day for those who want to be engaged in dhikr and in gratitude to Allah. Wow. So now, the way I think about night and day is not in terms of being active and resting, but in terms of opportunities for zikr and gratitude, now why does it say that? Note that up to this point, it is consoling the Prophet. It's, it seems like it's not talking to us. But now it's switching and saying, 
night and day for those of you who want to be oriented towards the reality in terms of dick and then boom wa'ibadur rahman الرحمن الذين يمشون على الأرض هونا وإذا خاطبهم الجاهلون قالوا سلاما This is now 63 It talks about the عباد الرحمن the believers of الرحمن who tread upon the earth in dignity but humility you couldn't find a better expression than يَمْشُونَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ هَوْنَا They tread upon the earth lightly. They're not pompous. They're not uh, troublemakers. They're not there for a show. They're not there to get attention. They are treading lightly in dignity. And when confronted with the type of stuff that the Prophet Muhammad has been confronted with slander and maligning. What do they do? They say salam. Meaning, with all due respect, we don't engage. It switched it on us. So now it's telling us you want to be those people. Learn the lesson. The lesson that I just taught your prophet. What is the lesson that I just taught your prophet? If you want to establish the criterion in life, if you want to do the jihad of the book, people will malign you. People will slander you. People will attack you. People will make up all types of stories about you. But if you are truly oriented towards the divine and not your own ego, it doesn't affect you. And you say to all of that, Salam, okay, fine. And who are these people? What is required to become of these people? The answer to that comes very quick. Now the night and day has a different purpose because they spend their nights in sujood and in worship. They have a special relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which their very orientation towards the world is different. وَالَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا أَصْرِفْ عَنَّا عَذَابَ جَهَنَّمْ إِنَّا عَذَابَهَا كَانَ غَرَامًا إِنَّا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا This is 66. That they constantly... They, they, they're consciously, very conscious of aware, aware of Jahannam. Now, when they say conscious of Jahannam, it is not just, oh God, don't send me to hellfire. No. It is God, don't allow me 
to slip and engage in the type of things that would make me confront Jahannam. Like what? Like committing injustice against animals. Like committing injustice against people. Because I could be a pious person, but if I'm not careful, I could hurt people. I could commit injustice against people. So just because you're pious, and you do your salah, and you read Quran, and you... But if you are not careful, so for instance, how many pious people, do you, do you, pious men do you know who are lousy to their wives? And then their wives come in the hereafter and they, 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 okay, so you've been, you've prayed and you've worshipped the song, but how about your spouse? Or how about your children? How many very pious men do you know, or women who are emotionally unavailable with their children. Being emotionally unavailable is injustice. Wow. So when you're praying to Allah, Allah, don't make me confront Jahannam. This is a very big deal because what you are really saying is, Allah make me a just human being who is doesn't have oh, a, a huge bill to settle in the hereafter. Your injustice could be all types of things. You could be short-tempered. You could be moody. You could be emotionally unavailable. You could be a, a, a selfish husband, a selfish wife. You could be the type that only cares about your own pleasure but doesn't think of other human beings. Being from Ibadul Rahman means being beautiful. And to be beautiful, you have to be self-conscious. And to be self-conscious, you need to think of justice vis-a-vis -vis everything. Even animals, trees, grass, everything. Piety, like the criterion of Furqan teaches us, is not but you you know just a segment. You don't you can't compartmentalize piety in a single sphere and ignore others and say, well, I'm pious. And Allah then brings us the list forward that shows you the characteristic of this piety, the characteristics. They're, they, if they spend their, their nature to material things is not neither their miserly nor their spendthrifty, nor do they... Uh, um, wasteful. In other words, the, you, their, their attitude towards material things is an attitude of justice. And they worship no other god with God, me including their ego. And they don't murder, they don't kill someone. 
and they don't commit adultery or fornication. Because that is a grievance against the divine. And those who do commit these sins are going to be held responsible except what this means is that your tawbah, if you want to repent, then you repent by feeling sorry, by being sorry for what you've did, and you do good deeds. You can't repent if you are not replacing the wrong deeds with good deeds. And those who do yatubu illallahi mataba means that they don't repeat the sin. It is not repentance if you keep doing it. So when you, when it, true repentance, so I mean, I, I've, again, my, my, life, my experiences of life have unfortunately shaped a lot of, you know, all of us are a product of our experiences. But I've, I've seen, you know, when I would do these um, reconciliations between married people, and I would find like, well, like husbands who every time they promise that they will not lose their temper and they're not going to cuss out their, you know, start saying, cussing out their wife or, or hitting their wife or divorcing, you know, say, I divorced you to the wife, and then they keep doing it again and again. That's not Tawbah, you know. Okay. And those who don't give false testimony. You know, we often don't pay attention to the extent to which we, as human beings, do give false testimony. Because when you give false testimony, it's not just when you say I saw something that you didn't see or you, you, you in other words, in the criminal proceedings. But Shahadat al-Zur is every time you are lying. You are constructing reality for others and for yourself. And every time you lie, that's Shahadat al-Zur. So, for instance, I'll tell you, I knew um, a guy, and uh, well, okay, anyway, I'll tell you a story. There was a guy who uh, he, his wife found out that he had taken a second wife, and he had taken a second wife, and, and he went to back home in Pakistan, and he on paper divorced his first wife and then went to Pakistan and got 
a, but his first wife actually didn't know that he divorced her Islamic or, or that he divorced her. I, I don't remember exactly how he did it, but anyway, it was a divorce in Pakistan. And then he brought in his second younger wife. And then when he was talking to me, he was saying, well, you know, I, oh, I hid it because I knew it would hurt her. And, and what's the problem? Because, you know, I knew it would just hurt her, so I just kept it away from her. I didn't want to tell her that I I'm married a young girl from Pakistan and so on. And I said, well, that's Shahadat al-Zur. How many times have you stated facts about your truth, the reality that you live, that's untrue? Like, you know, I'm going on a business trip, but you're actually going and spending time with your... Or, like, just, you're my wife, but in, in reality, she doesn't know that you divorced her and then you brought her back, you know, you, you did the raj'ah, and, and, you know, that's Shahadat al-Zur. That's living falsely. And he was shocked. And then he went and asked an imam in, locally, oh, did I commit Shahadat al-Zur? And the imam said, no, that's not Shahadat al-Zur. Shahadat al-Zur is when you go to a trial and you say someone committed a crime who didn't commit the crime. No, the imam is completely wrong. That's Shahadat al-Zur. If you lie, you are committing Shahadat al-Zur. It's a paradigm change. You have to live in honesty if you want Allah. If you don't want Allah, that's something else. Okay, fine, live all you want. You know, create all the mess you want to create. And, and you know, you have your, your deal to settle your accounts with Allah in the hereafter. And I'm not going to tell you anything. But if you want Allah, you can't lie. You can't say, oh, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and it's a false. If you speak, you have to speak truth. You can't be double, two-faced. You can't be a hypocrite. You can't say, I am going out to to do some work and go meet friends. It's a lie. You have to live in honesty. If you want Allah. Now look at the image. It's not just that they don't engage in backbiting. But they don't even sit where backbiting occurs. That when they see people backbiting, maru kirama meaning that they, they, they scurry along. They just go. They're not going to sit where people are backbiting. وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ لَمْ يَخِرُّوا عَلَيْهَا صُمًّا وَعُمْيَانًا Who are ever conscious of being reminded of the Furqan. When they hear the moral lessons of Allah in the Quran, 
the most common thing among those who are in trouble, Muslim or not Muslim, is that when they hear the moral lessons of Allah, they feel uncomfortable. And when they feel uncomfortable, and this is the, the common thing, the most common thing that shaitan engages in, I mean that shaitan tempts people with, they feel uncomfortable. And when they feel uncomfortable, they say, oh, I feel a lot of pressure. I feel a lot of stress. Oh, it's too much for me. That's the most common defensive mechanism. So what do you do? You effectively let it just, you're not listening to anything. And you escape to your comfort zone, the world in which you are master. Not in which you are in your proper place. as a creation of God who is taught by God the ethics that you should have. So, لَمْ يَخِرُّ عَلَيْهَا is a very powerful image, but a very, a very precise image. And subhanAllah, I mean, it's not talking about the Meccans now because those who are listening to the Quran and is that it's people who might even accept the veracity of the Quran. But the Quran, they don't want the Quran to resonate and actually engage them and reform them in any way. Now, this verse. 74, which I've mentioned in khutbah before, is critical now for the very idea of an ummah, that, that, what type of ummah that you want. But as an individual, to get to the point where you are saying, Allah, we want from our spouses and our lineage, a source of repose and comfort. Now, notice, if you're not going to have a source of qurrat ayun, suppose of comfort, you're not going to get that by being insensitive, uncaring, unloving, un unavail emotionally unavailable. You're not going to get that by being selfish or narcissistic. You're not going to get that by being authoritarian or despotic. You're not going to get that by being abusive. You're not going to get that by being any of those things. If you want qurrata ayun, qurrata ayun is like the epitome of peace. You want your 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 spouse and your lineage to be qurrata ayun. So you want what? You want that peace and comfort and tranquility that comes from being a very, very decent human being, from being sensitive, from being loving, from being caring, 
from being available, from being empathetic, so that your spouse and your family think of you as a Qurrat Ayn. Amazing. Truly amazing. وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama. So not only do you now you want that for yourself in terms of being, but you want to be examples of piety to others. Now, if you want to be examples of piety to others, how do you choose a spouse or a partner? Personally, my journey in life had got me to the point where I believe if you are going to choose a spouse, and I don't know how many of you are unmarried, if your criterion is Allah, then Allah is with you. If your criterion is not Allah, and it's your emotions or your feelings or your crushes or your romance or whatever other batikh you want to rely on, then Allah will give you exactly that batikh. Batikh is watermelon in Arabic, which means nonsense. I want a partner that I can build a pious life that is an example unto nations, unto other people of piety and a Muslim home. Now, if my guide is how tall this person is, how good looking this person is, what size this person is, whatever, you know, be, how, what, what, this, what this person wears, what this person books, you know, whatever people use these days, you know. You know, he makes me laugh. That's what, oh, you know, how many times it's like, you know, I want someone who makes me laugh. Okay, so your comedy is your yardstick. Okay, fine. Uh, then you get a comedian for a husband, Batikh. But if you want Allah, that should be your yardstick. Piety. Taqwa. And not false piety, because that is another big problem. Someone who comes and has a beard and you know and, and follows the sunnah, but but if if piety is beauty, piety is someone who is empathetic and loving and sensitive and caring. A pious human being is a person that it flows with the beauty of Allah. Ar-Rahman. You see why Surah Al-Furqan chose Ar-Rahman? Rahman. The merciful, the compassionate. Those, Allah tells us, in 75, are going to be rewarded for their perseverance and their hardship. Remember, Allah said earlier that we've made one of you a fitna to each other. You human beings torment each other. We know that. Allah knows that. But Allah wants to see if are you going to persevere. 
Now, those who do persevere will be finally in good company and a good result and a good conclusion because of their perseverance. And then the final statement of Surat al-Furqan that is both beautiful and terrifying. قُلْ مَا يَعْبَأُ بِكُمْ رَبِّي لَوْلَا دُعَاءُكُمْ فَقَدْ كَذَّبْتُمْ فَسَوْفَ يَكُونُ لِزَامًا This verse, let's see how he translated actually. This verse 77 say my lord pays attention to you only because of your invocation to Allah but now you have indeed denied Allah so the torment will be yours forever inseparable permanent punishment no bad translation that's not what it said قُلْ مَا يَعْبَأُ بِكُمْ رَبِّي لَوْلَا دُعَاءُكُمْ Think of the following. Some understood this verse to mean that Allah doesn't care about you except for your prayers. So the only, that Allah, you don't come to Allah's attention except for the fact that you do dua. So basically, you're not on Allah's radar screen unless you do dua and then Allah notices you. But that's not what the verse is saying. That's wrong. And any interpretation, that the translation that you find like that, it's wrong. What it's saying is Allah there is no special intervention on your on behalf of human beings but for you calling upon your Lord to intervene so in the midst of all these hardships and the tests, note that the extent to which you want Allah to intervene depends on your relationship with Allah and how much you invite Allah to intervene. But those who insist on dealing with Allah by denying and disbelieving in what Allah has said, then the consequences are binding. You will you will reap what you sow. So Surah Al Furqan is like a symphonic performance. It starts out by telling us, listen, this here is a criterion. 
this here is the, the very power between falsehood and truth, then it takes us to accompany the prophet in all the challenges and pain that he is going through, but to tell us, you know, those who believe in the criterion and those who want to adhere to the truth and want to be messengers of the truth, they will suffer from their fellow human beings. It's not just they will be misunderstood. They will be misunderstood. They will be maligned. They will be called names. They will be, all of that. If you persevere and you hold steadfast, then your reward was Allah. But don't ever forget that it's not up to you. You don't control people. You are just a messenger. And as long as you keep your role to exactly that, a teacher, not a despot, not a controller, not whatever it is, then you are on the right path. And the crux of the matter is the 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 ultimate concrete results that your very conduct must display that morality and that ethics in lack of vindictiveness, lack of pettiness, the, your, your respect towards human life, your respect to your refraining from speaking falsehood, from engaging in uh, pride and arrogance and all of that, and then ultimately closing with the results of this or the accountability, the consequences are binding and inescapable and undeniable. No matter how much you spend in life trying to avoid what will ultimately come. That's for Surah Al-Furqan. It was coming, as I said, at that point, the remarkable, the, 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 uh, one of the, the interesting things that when Surah Al-Furqan eventually reaches the Muslims who had went to Abyssinia, remember, they're in Abyssinia, so they're not with the Prophet. But, People coming from Mecca told them, here's Surah Al-Furqan. And you have these reports that these Muslims in Abyssinia weep and say, Allah has comforted us with the Furqan. They got it. They got the message. They understood what Furqan was about. Remarkable. You can find so many Muslims that read Surah Al-Furqan and get nothing from it. And it's sad. Because 
at like other surahs we've talked about, it is absolutely life-changing and life-transforming. If you only live with it and allow it to speak to your heart. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen and we've completed Surah Al-Furqan. No, 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 my, my reward was, was Allah, not you guys. <laughs> With all due respect. I don't charge you money and I don't expect claps from you. If anyone, I'm going to start with the group here. If anyone has questions that they want to send through the chat, please do. And uh, so let me start by opening it up to the students here. If anybody wants to ask a question. Sharif is desperate. I can feel it. <laughs> okay, Sharif? Let's say I'm going first. Okay, Sharif. And then if you, if you can summarize or, or paraphrase again the question. Okay. Uh, my question is about verse 53 regarding the, the behind the two seas, one sweet and one salt uh, and bitter. Uh, and um, because I think, because I've been trying to pay attention to the order of the surahs that we're going through, I started thinking about surahs of Tur and the Ta'bir of um, Bahr in that sense, the ocean in that sense, being life and life's turbulence. And I was wondering whether you thought of, um, that it might be applicable in this case, rather besides like the scientific explanation of salt water and fresh water. But, uh, of concepts like truth versus falsehood, or good and evil, yeah. allowing the coexistence to apparently be within the same body of water, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then the following verse of 53 saying that man is created from water, I wonder, probably not a coincidence, uh, that, that yes, like, the the mud uh, like the substance of, of man could be like from clay or water but uh, but man or human being being forged from this singular body of water uh, you can kind of make a choice to parse out the falsehood from the the truth using the criterion that that is here I was wondering what oh. you thought about that as a concept so the the question. Uh, is that the the creation or when Allah speaks of of um, salt water and sweet water and that there is a separation hajr between them that separates them and um, whether that could be a reference to the nature of existence itself, and that water, where you seemingly see good and evil exist, but in reality that there is, a, as Surah Al-Furqan alludes to, a criterion that separates falsehood from truth, dark from light, and then the reference to In the ayah right after that, the human beings being created from water, and 
whether then it is an allusion to the criterion, again, of Furqan, where a human being can either decide they are with falsehood or truth. There is a part to that that is actually um, addressed in, in a lot of Sufi tafsir, uh, and that is the, the, the allusion to water uh, being salt and, and uh, not salty water or fresh water or whatever. Uh, that in fact it re it does refer to the stream of life, and that when Allah talks about that there is a separation between them, um, that it is re alluding to the nature of truth and the nature of falsehood, the nature of what is good and bad. Uh, that is. A, co a co very common theme in Sufi Tafasir. The the one that I have not read before, but it's very interesting, uh, is tying the reference of human beings being created from water and tying that to the, the theme of Surah Al-Furqan itself, that if you're created from water, you can choose to adopt the Furqan to be either of salt water or of fresh water, of, of good or of bad. That is original. I haven't seen that before. But it sounds very plausible to me. And I would count it as an original insight in Surah Al-Furqan. Um, so inshallah when we do the, the project that we keep talking about, this should be noted as an original insight because I've, I've never encountered it. But the idea of salt water and fresh water symbolizing falsehood and truth and the separator, um, the, the stream of life is the existence of water. And if you are standing and observing life um, and not being careful about how you you understand the nature of, of water itself. You don't know truth from falsehood. And there are, this is a, a constant theme of, of um, uh, and the ease by which a human being can can find themselves floating in water that they think it's of one nature but it turns to be another is also a constant theme in in a lot of Sufi Tafasir. But that's a really good point. Okay, I have a two-part question. The first part is, which I've, I've wondered this for a long time and I think I understand it, the difference between the word Bayan and Furqan. Because Bayan mm -hmm. is attributed to like a human's ability to discern right well for Khan is a specific criterion that you might discern is that correct yes okay the second part is more I'm wondering if this connection has any merit because as we're going through the surah I started to look at the tabarak as like guideposts and I started reflecting on 
the, the changes that were happening over that time. So it begins with the first Tabarak talking about the Furqan. I gave you this criterion. I sent, I sent you a clear guide. Then it moves on to all of the claims that people are making against the Prophet, which you know by verse 10 is, they're all tied into materialism and mm -hmm. the culture. And even it's as if, I guess one of the things that I'm wondering is if part of the message is that you, you people actually have your own criterion, but your criterion on the Day of Judgment is going to lead you astray and is going to testify to you leading yourself astray. Mm -hmm. Then by the time we get to 18, that's, well, that's the materialism leading them astray. But then what, the reason why I started like kind of getting evasorated and crazy is by the time we get to 61, and it's drawing all the same comparisons that are in Rahman, mm. you know, the, the water, the, the constellations, and so on, and then it invokes the name Rahman, which usually happens in the Quran during special times. Before that, in one of the previous Tabarics, it says, if I, if I wanted to, or I could give you these things and more, referring to palaces and gardens. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the surah, it actually shows you, I've already given you more. I've given you this, mm -hmm. this earth that, that has a radiant lamp in the sky, and that has miracles that are happening in the ocean where these waters are not crossing. That has you know, all of this environment. Mm -hmm. Is there, I guess I'm just wondering if you have anything to comment on that. Yeah, my comment is, uh, yeah, subhanAllah, I mean, th this is yet an another original insight. Um, uh, the first, the, the difference between Bayan and Furqan, um, um, Bayan is a discernment and an ability to, dis to discern. So it, the discernment is up to you. But Furqan is a, it, it's really a, a decisive, um, uh, a decisive separator between the wrong path and the right path. And um, where it, it establishes what are the key elements. So, for instance, according to Surah Al-Furqan, lack of humility, so if you don't tread upon the earth lightly, that cannot ever be part of the path of truth. Murdering people cannot be a part of the path of truth. Fornication, adultery cannot be a part of the path of truth. Um, engaging in falsehood cannot be a part of the path of truth. Uh, backbiting and slander cannot be a part of the path of truth. So you have all of these clear guideposts for what is true and what is wrong, what is right and what is wrong in the sense of Furqan. Um, while whenever the Quran mentions Bayan, it talks about evidence that you can ponder for more subtle issues. Um, 
So that's the, but the part, the second part is, is really interesting. Um, that first, it, it, all the, the things that it points to as the cause of falsehood in the beginning of the surah are all these material things, the human beings being lost in the materiality of things. But then as it goes on, it, it gets us from reflecting on the, 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 the uh, petty materialism to reflecting on cosmology itself, on the very nature of creation. But not only that, but then, and that is often, it does occur, as in Surah Al-Rahman, when, when we get, when Allah introduces or brings the, the mention of Rahman. Um, but the, I, I've never seen anyone point out to this really interesting point that, well, Allah could, you know, you, you want so much from Allah, you, 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 Allah could have granted palaces and so on, but in fact, Allah did give you so much more than that by the very nature of existence itself um, as evidence of the divine. That I've never read, but it's really interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, the more, and I don't, it, the more you ponder the Quran, the more it will yield. It, it's, it is not an exaggeration to say that now 30 years, and, and I still feel like, um, like a child, every time I'm, I'm, I deal with the Quran, I just, um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely worth reflecting on, and I think that that's, that you're right, it is, like, it carries us to, 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 greater and greater levels of re existential reflection um, until the very end of Surah Al-Rahman, uh, Surah Al-Furqan. Have there ever been any uh, commentators, I, I suspect there have, that have interpreted Furqan not as referring to the Qur'an but as referring to reason, reason itself? Because, you know, when we were going with all the arguments from the unbelievers, it, it, it doesn't seem to be just gossiping or just muslim, but they fundamentally do not make sense. The Prophet cannot be all of these things, they're mutually contradictory. I'm sure they know this but they don't care. Um, it's not about making sense, it's just denial. Like, when somebody's taken their hawa as their god, you cannot get through to them. You mm. cannot have a conversation with them. So understand what it is you're up against. Follow the Furqan. The Furqan tells you that this man Muhammad is who he says he is. Look at the universe, um, the sun in the sky, the stars. 
God tells you, you know, Tabarak and the, the Furqan is, yeah, yeah. that's your guy. Yeah, actually, I'm happy you asked that question. Um, yeah, the question is, is um, has anyone referred to the Furqan or mentioned that the Furqan is not necessarily the Quran, but reason itself? Because if you look at the accusations leveled against the Prophet, they're, they're, they're contradictory, and they don't make sense. And so, could it be that the Furqan, and in fact, and people who, who worship their own ego, you can't get to them, you can't reach them, because whatever reason you're going to give them, they're going to have a way of rebutting it, uh, because they're committed to the irrational and unreasonable. And the answer is yes, and it's really interesting because there is a there is a this debate uh, in the Islamic tradition. The Furqan is not used just in the Quran in reference to the Quran. It is also used referring to the revelation to Moses uh, that God sent the Furqan with Moses. That God sent the Furqan with. Um, uh, some other prophets and so there's a debate between three distinct points of view those who said that the Furqan means the law the eternal law of God that doesn't vary or change so when Allah says I've sent the Furqan with Moses that Allah is saying I've sent the laws that apply to humanity, whether it's Moses, Muhammad, uh, Jesus, whatever prophet, these are the eternal laws. And those who said, no, the Furqan is the, the eternal reason that the, the, that, and these are often, we're either rationalists or Sufis. Um, the, the Furqan is, is reason sometimes alluded to as the mind of God, the, the great intellect, or the, the um, um, uh, primordial intellect, the, the intellect that, that puts the logic of creation, that sets the scales for justice itself. And then those that said, no, it refers to the Quran, but What's really interesting is that they're not, they don't, they're as, as um, someone like Mataridi pointed out, that they're not mutually exclusive. That the, the primordial intellect, the intellect that sets the scale of justice, within that intellect are also the eternal laws of goodness and, and the, 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 the laws that every prophet was sent with. And they are also within the Quran, the heart of the Quran itself. The laws that do not vary and do not change from one generation to another. And the laws that do separate falsehood from truth, or truth from falsehood, and darkness from light, the shadow from the light, and so on. Um, but I'm happy you asked that because it is, I. I uh, I've actually neglected to, to mention 
um, that this was at the heart and the core of the discussion about Furqan and the, the, and everyone that talked about eternal laws that exist by the very logic of nature always cites the Surah Al-Furqan as the, the, you know, the first go-to evidence of Allah referring to them. So, but that's a really good point. There's a, um, what are the criteria, oh sorry, hell is described in verse 13 as tight and constrained space. Can this be read as connoting constriction and in some sense absence of freedom as negative in a more general manner? Yeah, there, there are uh, traditions that talk about um, a corridor leading to hell that is increasingly narrow and and so on but these traditions are not very um, reliable transmission wise um, so but what what is I mean the more reliable material that we have is that it connotes a as whether that you know whether the, const, the, the the constraint is going to be physical or emotional um, an increasing feeling of being of things being closing upon oneself that you know like things caving onto you as the reality of this uh, this raging literally roaring or angry um, fate that awaits one um, I think if I I think it was Ibn Taymiyyah who says has a discussion and uh, there's a tafsir attributed to Ibn Taymiyyah, whether it's really Ibn Taymiyyah who wrote it or, or it's, it's attribution is wrong, but anyway, there's a tafsir attributed to Ibn Taymiyyah, which he talks about the, the it says that the sense of um, feeling tightness in the chest and sense of suffocation as you, as you confronted this reality and he has a very interesting discussion about that. But yeah, you're, you mean it? It's exactly what it says. It's a it's a ter terrifying image, in which things are closing in upon you, um, whether that's physical or emotional, as you sort of confront your own track record and your memory be starts chasing you, because the uh, you you will remember what you've done. And, in fact, in the hereafter, there are traditions that talk about how the memory of a human being becomes specially heightened. And so you remember everything clearly. And the memories are torture. 
for those who committed injustice, and especially the type of injustice that the Furqan talks about, um, you, you, you can't escape them. You can remember everything. And it, dawn, it dawns upon you that, okay, I'm going to have to answer for these. And that's, that's suffocating. I mean, may Allah protect us. It's something that any, if you have an iota of wisdom, you, you would pray Allah that, that you don't stand in that position. Uh, Jazakallah khair. What, um, someone asks, what are the criteria um, of selecting the specific surahs? Um, you mean the surahs that, that I do? Mm -hmm. uh, so far, um, I, after Asha, I pray Shaf and I pray Witch. The prayer sunnah, the shaf and witch, and then I pray two rakahs, and I go into uh, tasbih, the tasbih, the the tasbih that I normally do, uh, asking Allah to tell me what surah to cover, and it comes to me. Um, So, uh, uh, people were asking me what surah are we going to do, and I, I'm, I had sat and prayed on Thursday, and I didn't get anything. Uh, nothing came to me. Um, and then I did it again Friday, and it was very clear that it should be for Khan. And I actually had to go back and recite Al-Furqan. I admit that I had, because it's sometimes if you, you forget, you know, if you don't constantly, or if you're not constantly reciting the Quran, you forget what you've memorized. So as I was reciting, I realized I forgot, uh, you know, I was making, forgetting words or forgetting, skipping ayahs. And because I, I wasn't sure why Al-Furqan, and um, but it was clear it was going to be the Furqan, and so that was it. Um, I, I mean, as we pick up the pace, <laughs> I, I worried, like, you know, should I adopt a different methodology? But I, I've, I can't. I, I, I'm gonna have to stick to the methodology, although it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit um, difficult when you do it this way. It's much easier to pick an order and just say, okay, I'm gonna go in this order. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, as I'm doing it, I'm worried, like, okay, when, when am I going to do, be told to do al-Baqarah, for instance? And, I'm, you know, that's scary, because al-Baqarah is a real challenge. And, and so, uh, you know, so it hasn't happened yet. Pray for me. Pray for me. Well, I want to interject, actually, what really um, struck me in, in the surah, um, the point about when the reason why, you know, when the Quran, why wasn't it revealed all in one huge 
chunk and you know the point about it's revealed in stages to address you know the context and the learning I mean I've seen just from our own experience here every single Sora in the order that you've presented it based on your prayer including today's was very pertinent for what we were experiencing you know whether it was the unconvoluted because of the hijra and all of the things that came before that but I felt like today so many things refer to things that we experienced just in this last week I don't know if you noticed but I know all of us I think were feeling chills no so so don't change for I mean my vote is not to change okay <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm going to paraphrase. There are a couple of questions that came in that I think are related, and forgive me if I am mis, um, misdoing this, but I think it has to do with the idea of, um, of the company that you keep mm -hmm. and the idea of uh, setting an example for society um, you know, instead of choosing the comedian or choosing, you know, by some other standard. Um, and combining with that, the idea of the demonic whispers and um, the comment about uh, the vicar rituals. Because mm -hmm. the vicar rituals are not necessarily something that would be very common or accepted unless you were in Sufi circles. Mm -hmm. So for a lay person who wants that path, you know... I mean, you could literally think, okay, I can only marry marry a Sufi who would believe in the vicar rituals, um, or you know. So basically, how how do you how do you set an example for society if you follow that path? And for a layperson, what would you suggest when you want to follow that path? So first, it's not necessarily that you are an example of society, but you are a good example to society in, in the sense that you want your family to be a family anchored in piety. Um, a, a, a family that is not ripped apart by all the things that rip apart families that are demonic. That, that's a blessing from Allah, that's a protection from Allah. If you actually, if your family is protected, uh, so that you have, you know, you have love and mercy and respect and stability and peace and tranquility and Iman, uh, that's, a, that's a huge blessing. Now, so, the the main thing is that no you're not picking a Sufi to marry but you are saying to Allah and this remember this is a prayer that you utter um, those who say to Allah those who supplicate to Allah effectively those who pray to Allah Allah grant us this so when you are trying to think of the life that you lead, then you are clear as to what the criterion are. Because this is Surah Al-Fuqar, what the criterion, and the criterion are, you, 
you are looking not through your ego and your hawa, but through your, your heart and your mind as to who fulfills the criterion of piety, of a path towards God. In other words, who has the potential to walk with you towards God, not who is already there and then you are their student, but who can be your companion in, in this journey towards a blessed home. And here, there are things that are serious disqualifiers. You know, someone who kills people is a disqualifier, as the Surah Al-Furqan says. Someone who doesn't care whether they fornicate or sleep around is a disqualifier. You don't want that. Someone who doesn't care about their relationship with Allah is a disqualifier. Someone who's not truthful is a disqualifier. Someone who uh, is careless about the boundaries with Allah, like, you know, backbiting and slander and just doesn't, uh, you know, takes it lightly. It should be a disqualifier. So there are things that help you along the, the, the decision of saying, Allah, give me a blessed family. Allah, I want a blessed family. Uh, a blessed family, my, my advice is that you want to anchor a blessed family, pray together from the very beginning. Make a commitment to pray together. Shaitan is always going to come and say, it's annoying, it's boring, do you really need it, who cares? You know, it's more important to watch a movie together than to pray together. It's more important to, I don't know, do what people do weird things these days, together. I don't know what people do. What do people do? Nothing with COVID. Well, not, <laughs> not with the days of COVID, but the normal days. Oh, like, you know, uh, go to restaurants and, you know, and know where to eat and stuff like that. No, no. It, 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 is, it is establishing that, that principle. Our life, we, we are going to shape our feelings according to our commitment to God. You will see the result. If you truly want it, you will see the result. If you start with your vanity, what I find sexy, what I find attractive, what I find cool, okay, then reap what you saw. You will get sexy, you will get cool, and you will also get, you know, zift on your head. You know, you'll get batikh on your head. That's what you want, that's what you told, that's what you went for. But if you say, I, I, I will put Allah first, then you're building your, your nest. You're building the nest where you will be, you will naturally be lil muttaqina imama. Because, and, but remember that, you know, all goodness comes from struggling with your ego. The minute 
you know in your danger you are in danger and I'm telling you this as advice for all types of situations in your journey with Allah the minute you say well I feel that way and that's it because I feel that way they are in trouble I feel that way is from shaitan it's from shaitan no you feel that way interrogate yourself are these feelings just are they fair are they beautiful are they according are, are they consistent with the Rahman because every moody human being says I feel that way do you know how many kids grow up screwed up because their parents are emotionally unavailable and moody you know, they, they can't talk to their parents because their parents indulge themselves in their moodiness. They come back from work, it's like, uh, I don't want to talk to the kids. I feel like, you know, I, I have things to worry about and so on. That's not a Rahman. That's not beauty. That's not Iman, people. People think that that's that you can have Iman and have that. No, you can't. The whole premise of Iman is, is anchored on sacrifice and challenging yourself. And it the reason I, I'm so passionate about this, or I say it with this fervor, because I don't know why Muslims in particular, I find their families so messed up, uh, where, you know, parents think that it's okay to be jerks no it's not it's not okay and you have to challenge yourself and you have to discipline yourself and you have to say yes I don't feel like it but that's what Allah wants from me so I will do it I will spend the time with my children I will be available to them I will be involved with their problems that seem too petty to me and meaningless to me I will understand their world. I will be engaged with them. Yes, I, you know, my, I, my wife is telling me a story that I think is really boring, but I will be very interested because that's what Rahman wants from me. You can't just be selfish and think that that's the path of Rahman. That's not. A path of Rahman is never built on egoism. So when you're choosing a partner, all of these factors are relevant. Who's, who is going to, who can you communicate with about the Rahman and say, okay, you know, reform, re change yourself because what you're doing right now is not what the Rahman would like. And they would say, okay, yeah, I'm going to work on it. Not, this is the way I am, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it, then then you've got a problem. Um, it is not, this is not, you know, difficult calculus or, or whatever. This is the principles of mercy and piety that are inherent to you if you think about them. If you choose a partner that doesn't pray 
or someone that prays but is 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 a jerk. Is the issue is not whether they spend time in dhikr, but the issue with their 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 personality is a personality that is always in a state of remembrance of Allah. Do they do they think of Allah before they do things or do they just do things? Do they worry about whether Allah is going to be pleased or not pleased before they act or speak or it doesn't matter to them? That's what matters. That's what matters. You know, there are, think about the rate, the divorce rate in the world that we live in. You know, most romantic, you know, the, 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 the French Mon Amour type scenario, the, you know, Hollywood, the, you know, it, it, it wears off very quickly in a marriage, you know, very quickly. By, quite often by the end of the honeymoon, halas, it's over. You know, and then the annoyances begin. You get on their nerve, they get on your nerve, you annoy each other, you can't stand each other, you know. That's what marriage is. Alhamdulillah. Then comes the next step. Okay. Now, so the romance part is the energy is spent. The energy that's always there. But then comes, okay, how are they going to deal with you? Are they going to deal with you as God-fearing human beings or as selfish human beings? Are they going to say, I fear Allah, so I'm going to do the right thing because I know I cannot be unfair to you and I cannot be insensitive and I cannot be uncaring or not. That's the crux of the matter. And if you're already married, it's not too late to, to make a commitment to make your relationship about that. But it has to be a mutual commitment. It can't be one-sided. Well, it can be. I mean, but you, if it, it, it's just going to be difficult if it's one-sided, then you have to be the one who's anchored in Allah and constantly forgiving and giving and, and, and so on. Which is fine, but, you know, it's just harder. Um, that's what, that's what is, there's no, you know, don't get be fooled with someone who, you know, it's not the number of rakahs, it is not the appearance, it is not uh, any of the pietistic affectations that people, it is the, the, the substance itself of do they, do they really have God in their conscience, or they don't. And, and that's very important. Okay. <laughs> Question number Seconds two. Seconds are fine, too. Um, about ten years ago, I remember the idea that Kufr itself was a source of injustice, was, was the cause of a lot of consternation. Um, but and now, nowadays it's, it's not so much, I understand it a little bit better. But when I got to um, in verse 23 and it talks about good deeds will be scattered like dust, mm. is, I'm wondering, number one, why is 
disbelief in and of itself the source of, of, of injustice or is an injustice by itself. And, and number two is part of the reason or is the reason because if there's really only two options, like human beings are built to serve something, they, they're built to have a God. If my God is not Allah, then my God is myself. And all of my actions come from a place of either what I am scared of or what I desire. Mm -hmm. So then if I do a good deed, it's essentially self-serving. Mm -hmm. A tangible example of that is I am extremely kind and generous with a potential employer or client, but then I get home and my family that, you know, I take for granted, I'm, I don't extend them the same kindness, I'm two-faced. So every, every, even though that being nice in the workplace is still being nice, it's ultimately to, for something to serve myself. Is that within the idea of why disbelief is an injustice, or is there more to it? No, I mean, you, you're, you're right. Uh, uh, disbelief is injustice because the, the principle of gratitude. You have a, a creator, and you say to yourself, well, I'm not acknowledging my creator, and I'm not going to be grateful to my creator. I'm going to ignore my creator, but I'm going to be moral otherwise. Well, morality is indivisible. And it, that is a, 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 a fundamental issue. If, if you don't have the humility to be grateful to your creator, then your egoism is going to constantly be play an interventionist role. And you as a human being, you are going to be unpredictable. So, and, and it is what we see all the time. I mean, you could have a doctor that, that that does great good in the hospital with a lot of poor people, but uh, it's just child molester at home. We see that that exact that that in living life all the time. We we see people who have, you know, done great. Uh, what look like great things, but um, when it when resources become scarce we get into the the um uh where you know i become first so it the the the, the paradigm itself it's sort of like a conception of justice of where does the ego fit and gratitude to your maker is the beginning of all morality. If it's not there, then, we, then the foundation upon which we will build morality will have serious flaws and serious gaps. And from an Islamic perspective, these flaws and gaps will cause an eventual collapse. My experience of life has proved, have, have convinced me that is actually completely correct. I mean, uh, the advantage of being in law is that you see the side of people that people often hide because it comes up in lawsuits and and when people have trouble. I mean, 
people can hide things from their doctors, but it's very difficult to hide things from your lawyer if you have a lawyer. Uh, because, you know, that, that's when you're... And the world which we've created is a world that is grossly unfair and unjust. I mean, the, the, the way that even, for instance, the way that we help um, organizations that do good work, moral work, in feeding children in Africa. But these organizations themselves are part of an economic structure that perpetuates an, a gross amount of injustice in the same countries that they help. So a lot of these organizations, for instance, are, are given by, by pharmaceutical companies medicine that is experimental to try out on poor Africans and these organizations can't say no because the entire system works that way. Or, you know, um, it is now has become very acceptable and I'm working with these in relief AIDS organizations. You say, you know, say, well, we can't help every child, but the children we can help are worth it. Well, okay, so for instance, I, I remember some relief work, they, they, this is an organization that helped children that, for Africa, that because of malnutrition or, I don't know, uh, their limbs are twisted. So they're, they're, and out of every 10 children, they would help one. And because he can help that one child, that child became the poster boy for all these Western countries to feel so good about themselves. But there were so many children that suffered to death. It, it is fundamentally unfair. And the doctors, God bless them, they were volunteers. They would come for six months, for eight months, for nine months and leave. And go back to their lives. But I was just shocked at the logic of the, these doctors from England, from France, from U.S. Well, we can't help everyone, but you know, the one that we help is worth it. Well, but this is wrong. We have to have a system in which we can't just throw the children like that. But the whole entire system is built to function this way. Because it has no morality. I've seen this in numerous times. I've seen this, for instance, when in, in refugee relief activity, okay? We have refugees, this is when I was younger and had actually energy and health and stuff like that. You know, you, you have relief coming. Okay, so um, the... Uh, uh, High Commissioner's Office for Refugees, there's the Refugee Agency with the UN. We are supplied with a certain amount of tents, a certain amount of blankets, a certain amount of food. They come, okay, we register, register the refugee, register the refugee, and blanket, food, tent. Okay. Wonderful. Night comes. Night, there are, the human traffickers set in, 
and they start abducting women and children from the tents, and you can hear their screams as they're being raped or taken. And you go to the military, the, the, the armed UN peacekeepers with us, and say, do something. That's not part of our job. We, our job is to distribute the blankets of food and the children. But this is wrong. Do something. Sorry, you go to the, to the doctor in charge of the refugee camp. I would need to call my government in France. And, uh, uh, but this is going on now. Eight months, nothing. We had hundreds of women and children taken. Nothing. Our job distribute tents, blankets, food, and register. And then people are, are disappear. Okay, cross out of, of the register. That's our job. You want to call this a just system? This is a moral system? When you tell someone, well, go sacrifice your life to save a woman or a child, are you crazy? Me? Go sacrifice my life? Why? Azim, the only Muslims that lost their lives trying to help people, the only people that lost their lives trying to help people were Muslims. The only people, the, there were few people that were really, that used to pray with me and that lost their lives trying to save people, but that's because they didn't care. They said, no, 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 we can't. We, we, can't. we have to do something. What's the difference? I mean, we live in a, in a cosmetically, uh, in a world that is cosmetically tweaked to be bearable for the wealthy and rich. But the realities are far from cosmetic. So we can go to our supermarkets and buy our products and live our lives and so on and, and maintain our fictions of morality. All false morality. That's exactly the type of reality that Surah Al-Furqan is warning us against. And if Muslims would get off their butts and rise up to the moral charge, Allah gave Muslims oil so they can change the world, and they blew it. After colonialism, Allah said, okay, I know you went through colonialism, you suffered greatly, now I'm going to give you the means to change the game completely, to establish something better than the Khilafah that existed. Here, oil, just wealth without, and what did Muslims do with it? Can you imagine every person who just spent all your money on nonsense, what they have to answer to before Allah is unimaginable. And that's why people, rich people don't like me. The people who have all the oil money don't like me because I, I just told them what they don't like to hear.
Yes. Um, Salam, Professor. The increasing sense from studying the Quran with you I have is that the test we are put through on this earth is not simply hyper-focused on right and wrong, although that's undoubtedly part of a focused moral code Allah has laid out for us in, in this surah. But at the end, um, in the final verse, 77, makes me think that the one great of the greatest aspects of our success in the test of living this earthly life is how much we actually seek out Allah. Could the criterion be also about distinguishing between those who seek Allah out and those who do not, including the in formulating the bond with Allah? That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. It, it is it is the, the jihad itself. The jihad itself. Because as long as you are seeking Allah, Allah is with you. And then it is not ultimately, you know, it, then the mistakes are correctable and are understandable. But it is the journey that matters the most. And what is in your heart towards Allah and the jihad. Do you, do you take the Quran as your jihad? Or do you simply, you know, put the Quran to the side and lead your life and just consult it whenever it's convenient? Thank you, um, everyone. I just one last note. No more questions, right? Okay. So, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, this concludes today's um, session, and we will be meeting again on Tuesday, inshallah, six o'clock Eastern time. For shorter surah, shorter halaqa, inshallah. Okay. What well, we can do that after? Yeah. Right? Okay. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, and hopefully, you know, try to join us as much as you can. And have a wonderful rest of the weekend, inshallah. Rami, did you have any questions? Okay, all right. Assalamu alaikum.